Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 362. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor for 2018, Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist Review. It's the leading trade magazine in the floral industry and the only independent periodical for the retail, wholesale, and supplier market. Take advantage of the special subscription offer for members of the Slow Flowers community at deborahprinzing.com, where you can also find the show notes for today's episode 362. Today's guest hails from the same place where many of us began, the garden. What started in 2012 when Kate Estwing launched a flower and garden venture out of her home has grown enough to transplant her business, City House Country Mouse, into a brick-and-mortar storefront that opens this week in St. Louis's neighborhood called The Hill. Kate has grown City House Country Mouse from a gardening business into a full-service floral design studio, providing floral arrangements for weddings, businesses, events, and residential clients. She says, quote, It was very organic and made sense to me. I saw a huge industry involving the beauty of nature, but I also saw a lot of waste occurring within the industry. I knew I wanted to help people experience fresh, unique, and local flowers and find ways to provide artful arrangements with references to the garden. Cutting down on waste and plastic use is a hot topic, but you don't always see the production waste that's behind the flower arrangement you purchase. I'm happy to offer design services I know are cutting down or eliminating inorganic waste from that process. A Slow Flowers member who puts a big priority on sourcing from local St. Louis area farms and other growers in Missouri, Kate loves making garden-inspired arrangements that are whimsical and imperfect, a celebration of nature's ways. After operating as a home-based studio, this week City House Country Mouse moves into a charming storefront in a historic St. Louis neighborhood. I invited Kate to talk about the transition today because hers is a hybrid model I'm seeing occur more frequently than ever. The new space operates as a design studio for weekly deliveries and wedding production. And then Kate will open her doors with regular retail hours beginning next week on Wednesdays through Fridays, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. You'll want to visit DebraPrinzing.com to see our show notes for today's episode 362, where I'll have photos of Kate, her new shop, her floral designs, as well as information on how you can follow along at her social places. So let's get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, and I am so excited today to welcome Kate Eswing to the podcast. Hi, Kate. Hey, Deborah. Thanks for jumping on Skype with me. 
Thanks so much for having me. It's definitely an honor to be on your podcast. Oh, fun. Oh, well, we, uh, first of all, I should say you are the founder and owner of City House Country Mouse, and you're in St. Louis. And, and we, we just were re- reminiscing that we met a couple of years ago when I was able to come out and give a presentation at the St. Louis Art Museum for their Art and Bloom. And I think I just remembered our conversation because you had sort of a unique business model, um, even then, and now you've you've developed it further. So it stuck with me, and I, I want to share your story with our listeners. So, tell us a little bit about City House Country Mouse. What? How would you describe the business? Um, well, I would describe it as a floral design studio that focuses on special events and weddings, but we also do. Uh, We also do retail here and there deliveries Mm -hmm. for, you know, everyday occasions as well. Mm -hmm. And and you started the business in 2012. Mm -hmm. And what, well, it was, it was a little bit after that. The, I think my website says that I started hoarding seeds in 2012. (laughs) That caught my Um, eye. The business itself (laughs) didn't start quite then. It was just sort of, you know, the seeds, so to speak of, of, what started it all okay. was that year. When I read I think that, that was the, yeah, when I read that hoarding seeds thing, I was like, okay, that's the country mouse uh, part of the story. <laughs> I bet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When I, when I started um, the business, I had sort of slowly been taking over our, the backyard of the house that I live in and which is a city um, house. Right. That's right. It Uh is a city house right here in St. Louis City. And um, I had been planting things and I had started growing a lot of uh, vegetables from seed, not not quite as many flowers, but more vegetables Mm -hmm. and getting into uh, Baker Creek heirloom seeds, which is based in Missouri and just kind of spreading the word and selling plants at farmer's markets. Um, about, you know, heirloom plants and native plants. And um, that was kind of what triggered, I guess, my interest in maybe trying to pursue something um, more garden related was just having the space kind of in the backyard. Finally, you know, I'd bounced from apartment to apartment. I never really had an outdoor space before I lived here. Um, And having that space really felt like I could explore that interest more easily. Mm. That's so cool. Are you still in that same home? I am. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So, at the, um, fast forward to today, you have uh, a design studio that has a new kind of news happening this week, and that's why I wanted to get be very timely and invite you to talk about your expansion to um, a real brick and mortar storefront. And this seems to be kind of a, a shift that I'm seeing in a. You know, like a hybrid flower shop model among other Slow Flowers members. And um, maybe you could just describe, give us a snapshot of what what this new space is going to be and how you intend to use it with your clients. Yeah, well, it's um, it's definitely a small space. So I definitely wanted to focus on using that word studio so that people would understand that when they came in, it's not this huge retail storefront. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And... I'll be focusing, um, and and really already I focus more on special events like weddings. Um, but I really enjoy retail. Mm -hmm. I enjoy doing deliveries. 
um, maybe too much because I like to do them myself if mm. I have time. <laughs> mm. Um, but you know, I think that's it's also just good to be able to meet members of the community, and what better way than be able to just let people pop in and and get a bouquet and talk about flowers. So, I definitely wanted to have a little bit of retail in the space. Um, and I know other people in St. Louis in particular that, um, that do both or that just have a studio or that, um, just do retail, just do floral. So mm-hmm. in St. Louis, it seems like it's really a nice mix, but I think you're right. I think a lot of people are realizing, you know, if you have a space, but you're a smaller business, you know, why not have some retail hours? Like for instance, for me, when I think I'm going to be there anyway, working. Right, right. Don't become a slave to a six or seven day a week schedule, but make the retail times work for you. And, and, you know, maybe the, the customers will, will follow and, and just adapt. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm really hoping, um, that, you know, by having retail hours Wednesday to Friday, those are days that I'm getting ready for uh, weddings. So it might feel a little bit hectic, but I'd rather try that out um, at first at a time when I know I'm going to be in the office working. Mm-hmm. I'll have flowers available mm-hmm. compared to, like you said, like Monday to Saturday and then feeling like, oh, I have to be there to staff to staff this place every single day. You know, yeah. how am I going to run out to the, to the flower shop or to the flower farm that mm-hmm. I'm getting flowers from? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, that just scared me to feel like I would have to be so confined, um, to shop hours. Right. So right. I thought, you know, well, why don't I just make it be limited and, mm-hmm. and kind of see how that goes. So hopefully it'll be, hopefully it'll work out just fine. <laughs> wow. That's great. So you previously have, um, been like a mini studio florist working out of space that is not available to the public, right? Has it been like a garage or, uh, I can't remember where you've been. Yeah, it's, it's been my garage. Mm-hmm. It's been my basement. Um, <laughs> I try to keep it out of our main living space. Um, but that's really a big reason why I thought I should take the jump because looking forward into the fall, having, I think two weekends that I have two weddings, essentially mm, double book mm-hmm. weekend. I was just like, I, I can't do this at home. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I can't, I can't expand, um, at home just given sort of the current setup and layout. Um, right. So, and the, the new place, uh, essentially I bought a cooler in the process and the cooler was already there, um, from another, uh, ev- wedding event person. So that worked out really well. So now I also have a cooler in the new space oh, too. Oh, that's wonderful. And, and you know, yeah. a lot of people work out of their garage or basement for a long time, but I think you're right. Like you want to expand your, your capacity for, you know, having multiple weddings is sort of at some point constrained by your living space. So I, I think, I think that maybe is on a lot of people's minds, but like how to, but how to justify it financially is probably the other challenge. Um, did you go looking for a space or, or a storefront or, or how did you find this cute little space? And by the way, I saw the photo on your website. So we'll have to share that with folks. It's, it's really cute. Tell, tell us a little bit about it. Well, thanks. Um, the, it, it ended up sort of falling in my lap, which Mm. sounds way too easy, Mm -hmm. but I, I had essentially, I'd been starting to look casually is what I would say. Mm -hmm. And I 
wanted to stay really close to home. I didn't want to have to drive far, um, you know, environmental impact and all included. So, um, the, actually the person, um, she's from altered events right here in St. Louis. And she posted on a Facebook group that she was looking to sell her cooler. And I said, Oh, Hey, what are the dimensions? It's probably going to be too big Mm. for my home, Mm -hmm. but you know, I'm starting to look for a space. So if you can hold on to it for a little bit, I might be able to buy it and move it into a new place. And, um, she, she just said, well, actually, (laughs) and that's the, that's the end of that story. (laughs) You mean, you mean there's more to this story. She was getting rid of, she was getting out of that space. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Perfect. Perfect fit. Well, it looks, uh, like a historic or older building. Um, what is it a freestanding building or is it part of a, like a, a row of buildings? It's connected, um, onto the corner of its location, um, at Marconi and Wilson. Um, and I want to say it's early, like 19, either like early 1900s or 1910s. Wow. Uh-huh. Yes. Um, it looks like at it. least the front of it, the, the back end, which is a little storage area and bathroom was added on mm-hmm. later. Mm-hmm. Do you have any idea of what that building used to before back in the day? Um, it's been a few different things. Um, the people who own the group of buildings, um, they had a, like a beauty salon in it Mm, mm -hmm. and that would have been maybe 10 years ago. And then I think it was even a barber before that. And I'm not sure dating all the way back to the beginning, exactly what it was, but I think it was pretty much always retail. Mm -hmm. So it'd be, it'd be fun to see like how many, uh, types of businesses have been Mm -hmm. in there, but. And kind of that service, that neighborhood service business, like, okay, a barbershop, a beauty shop, a florist, uh, a wedding and event planner. I mean, like all those things seem to be some conducive to a smaller square footprint or, or square footage. I, I don't know. What's the square footage of the space? Yeah, it's small, 400 square feet. Oh my goodness. Well, you're, yeah, you might feel like it's, it's, you're growing because you have a cooler now. It's probably going to make you so efficient compared to working at home. Yeah, I think the cooler is going to be a big plus. And, uh, you know, you mentioned like being a service to the neighborhood mm-hmm. and community and the neighborhood that um, the studio is in is uh, called The Hill in St. Louis. And it's a sort of a historical neighborhood neighborhood that's an Italian neighborhood. Mm. Um, and I literally was driving in today and like stopping for a tour bus that just had like a gaggle of people <laughs> like crossing the street you know, to go to the restaurant. Um, so it's a very visited neighborhood in St. Louis, um, and, and historical as well as a lot of neighborhoods are, but, um, there is really a sense of community in the neighborhood too. So I really look forward to connecting with more people like sort of hyper locally. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Well, I'm excited for you. So you're having a open house, um, August 16th and 17th. Oh, and 18th, uh, just to what kind of introduce yourself to the neighborhood and also invite existing clients and that sort of thing? Yeah. Um, it's, you know, I, I was going to call it a grand opening and I think that phrase just scared me too much. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> so this just felt, this just felt better. Yeah. You know, it just felt like it was, there was less pressure around the, the term open house. <laughs> uh, so now everyone yeah, knows. Now everyone's going to copy you. That's a great idea. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't yeah. know. For some reason, 
once I changed the phrase, I was like, okay, no, I can do this. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. You don't need, yeah, you don't need like a, a I don't know, a, 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 I don't know what I'm thinking, a jazz band and a, a mirror ball yeah, for the like, disco dance. And one of those big, like, wavy air people, yeah, you know, exactly. you know, like it, it felt too too big for me to handle. Um, and so it's over three days just because the space is so small. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to make sure there's room for people to mingle and, um, we're going to have, uh, a few restaurants and caterers that are all part of this great program called the green dining Alliance, Mm. which is essentially, um, if a, if a restaurant business is part of this group, they rate them on their sort of green, abilities or their green interests. If they're using, um, you know, compostables for their catering services or making sure that they're, um, you know, maybe they have solar panels, they're making sure they recycle stuff like that. So, um, there'll be like tasty food and drinks and yeah, I mean, I think just kind of a little, uh, party with a bunch of flowers. Wow. That's so smart of you to partner with the green dining Alliance. I didn't know about that organization, but I'm sure that your, your presence with that group is educating these restaurants and caterers about the sustainable choices in flowers are similar to sustainable choices in, in food. Um, cause, or are they mostly vendors that you've worked with at other weddings and events? Well, I mean, I think it's, it's a little bit of both. Um, and I'm glad that you touched on that similarity to food because I feel like the slow flowers movement is, you know, obviously it's so similar to the slow food movement and it just feels like it's a little, um, you know, ever, more people know about slow food because obviously more people just eat food every right, day. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, but it definitely is a, like a, a good point of education to let people know you know, what is, what does that mean? What does slow flowers mean? And how, how can people think a little bit more about where their flowers are coming from? Just the same as thinking about where their food comes from. Right. And then also it probably gives you a chance to talk about the, um, city house country mouse's own sourcing philosophy and, and practices. Um, so, so that you can kind of weave that conversation about, Oh, flowers are grown here in St. Louis. Did you know that there's farms here and I'm buying from them and I'm supporting them. And I'm sure you're doing a lot of that too. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, to get people on board with being interested in that is there's that little bit of a challenge in um, educating people and helping people understand why sometimes local flowers end up costing a little bit more, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, or why why are a dozen roses so cheap at the big chain grocery store, um, but then you know a dozen of something from you would cost more than that? Mm-hmm. And you know, just making sure people understand about um, you know ethical workspaces and um, having flowers get flown from a really far distance compared to knowing your farmer and knowing that your farmers uh, farmhands are getting paid appropriately and mm-hmm. that they're not spraying pesticides mm-hmm. all over, you know, because if, if you care about the environment, um, you know, if you can get local and, and know your farmer, that's the best that you can get to make right. that decision. Right. So t- tell us how you are sourcing. Um, I know that you said you have, you told me earlier that you have a limited, uh, ability to clip from your own garden. So that that's 
pro probably really influences your aesthetic. Because um, garden flowers do just sort of have a different look and a different vibe than even small agriculture flowers. I don't know. To me, they do at least. I can tell, oh, that's not available commercially, but it came from a garden. Um, so that's a little bit of what you're doing as well, right? Yeah. And I think, honestly, I've, I've been really delighted in being uh, sort of forcing myself to work with what I have mm, mm -hmm. because it really challenges me, um, creatively. It challenges me a little bit more like, you know, what, what else can I find right here that fits the bill? You mm -hmm. know, what else can I find that's, that's like a hydrangea, but not a hydrangea right now, mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, like what's something I can be the uh, use that's kind of grassy, mm -hmm. but not the grass I was thinking of because that's not available right now. Um, and I swear it's, it's those weird things like that, that people end up asking about like poppy, uh, I'm sorry, not poppy peony pods. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I just was literally deadheading my peonies and had some pods that looked really cool and were really big from these single peonies. And I was like, Oh, you know, I've never used these, but I bet that they they would last a little while. Yeah. They last a while on the, on the plant. You know, on the um, and so, you know, I used one in an arrangement and I kept one to make sure that I could sort of test it out. And the one that I kept, I, I think it lasted at least three weeks before I threw it away. Yeah. Yeah. And you then, the and it was weird. And the person who received that arrangement was like, what is that? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I would never think of using that, you know? So it's a fun challenge to find that stuff. Yeah. And who are you buying from, from in the greater St. Louis or Missouri, uh, flower farming community? Um, so urban buds is physically the closest, mm -hmm. uh, grower and they're right here in the city and, um, have a great plot. They're doing really great yes, things. Yes, I've been to that that location. Well, I think on that same trip to St. Louis and um, had Miranda oh, good. And, and I had Miranda and Mima on the uh, podcast. So I can picture exactly where that is. But how close is that to where you are at the hill? I mean, it's it's only a few miles away. Oh wow, how lucky are you? Literally, yeah. It's uh, it's like I don't know four miles. Yeah, something like that. Four or five miles away. Um, so they're super close. So obviously, that's that's kind of uh, one of my main choices. And then as mentioned before, Flower Hill farm, her farm is a little further out in Beaufort, but she's in and out of the city area regularly. So, uh, it's, it's always easy for me to, um, get with Vicki and Jack over there. And, um, every once in a while, it's almost a treat to myself if I have enough time and I have a big event, you know, that's a weird combination of having enough time and right. ready for yeah. a big event. Right. <laughs> um, but, but when that works out, I'll go out to the farm and harvest uh, with Vicki uh, um, at Flower Hill Farm. And it's just like a total delight. Oh you know? my gosh. I, I have not been to Flower Hill Farm. I have met Vicki and I had a little like last minute moment in her car where I recorded a little, little clip with her for a past mm -hmm. podcast. I'll put those links on our show notes so people can go back and listen to them because they are from about two or three years ago. But yeah. how cool to work side by side with the farmer that you're supporting and for the farmer to work with you to sort of see maybe your response or your, I don't know, your right to hear you talk about how you're going to use their product. It must be awesome. It's very, very cool relationship. 
Well, and I think given my interest in uh, gardening that, that sort of spurred my interest in flowering, Mm -hmm. um, and I did the master gardener program here through the botanical garden. And, and I always just feel like I, unfortunately, maybe for the farmer, I, I turn into interview mode. If Mm -hmm. I'm out in the field with them, I'm like, Oh, what about this? Have you found that you can get a second cut? How do you fertilize it? Because I'm actually interested in the growing process. I love it. From them. Right. And not just like to be, uh, you know, like, Ooh, I'm going to use all this information as much as it's, it's just so interesting how, you know, different flowers need sometimes very different and specific care. Well, and the fact that you have a master gardener training and that you used to sell, you know, your own plants that you started from seed at farmer's markets, you have a little bit of a, um, appreciation or a big appreciation for what it takes to get a flower from, from a field to your client's bouquet. So it probably gives you all this knowledge that you can, you know, with, with confidence convey to the, to the customer. I hope so. I mean, it, it's kind of funny because sometimes I'll use the botanical names, whereas in the floral trade, there's a, there's kind of a nickname for the flower, you yep. know, like the floral trade name for the flower. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, well, what what's that? I have the same And then problem. they'll say it, I'm like, oh, oh, that's this. And they're like, oh, I've never heard it called that before. And I'm like, well, that's a botanical name. Like, I, <laughs> I just was, I just had that happen this week where I was calling something Lysimachia, but it was on the, on the uh, availability list as gooseneck. And yep. I was like, oh, the people really call this gooseneck. I know it's the common name, but um, I'm so in, like seared in Lysimachia from my plant ID classes in community college that I, I totally get what you're saying. It's like a different language altogether. And um, you're kind of in both worlds. Yeah. And then, you know, you the common names, obviously. That's why the the botanical nomenclature is, exists is because the common names can be all over the place, too. They say, well, I call this this. And, you know, four towns away, they call it something yep. totally different. Yeah, the, re- so. yeah, the, re- <laughs> the regional uh, vernacular is so, so varied. Um, well, Kate, you know, you have... I'm just guessing, I have a couple thoughts about your new role as sort of having the storefront. One is, if you were really basing your business primarily on weddings and events, um, perhaps you didn't have as many bookings in the winter months, and tell me if I'm wrong, but if that's the case, now all of a sudden, you will need to keep inventory or sourcing in the winter months in a different way because of these retail hours. Uh, Have you figured your way around that yet? Or what, what's the plan? Um, you know, I, I will say that I have kept busy in the holiday months mm. by doing a lot of wreaths. Mm-hmm. And um, that's right. And, and selling wreaths, but also doing workshops, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll do wreath workshops. Um, and then we'll also sell holiday wreaths. So essentially November into December. You're um, busy. At, I've previously, yeah, I'll just be making wreaths every week. Um, and you know, expecting, a, a some of a, a bit of an uptick in flower sales as well, obviously this upcoming year. Um, but as far as how to, how to source things, um, you know, we do have a pretty long growing season here. Not, uh, not as long as you, um, but <laughs> yeah, what is the, what is the, what is the St. Louis zone? Um, well, technically I think on the hardiness map, I think it says it's six a, mm. but I think other, um, uh, people 
who garden in the city would be right there with me and say that it's a strong 6B, mm, sure. maybe closer to 7 in the city. Sure, because you've got the the, the reflective heat and from concrete and cement and all and buildings probably. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you're right. Um, We're a lot more like 8A, 8B in Seattle. So we definitely are more temperate um, than St. Louis, but... Yeah. Get, and we'll get, yeah. you know, obviously we'll get numerous hard freezes mm. and, um, and some on the occasion, a bad ice storm too. So, um, we have stuff that we try to grow that and eke by mm. and see if it will mm-hmm. stay in the winter. And then we have other stuff that's super hardy. So, um, but for the winter to get back to your question of how will I source things, you know, in January, um, or February, right. maybe, um, I, you know, I think the first step is, you know, talking to either growers or our local wholesalers here in St. Louis and finding out, you know, what's growing out West, essentially mm-hmm. what's growing in California and Oregon and Washington, because it feels like those are, you know, that area is really the growing area that can still be, uh, pumping out stuff mm-hmm. in those winter months. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then I do have some, uh, you know, some stuff that dries really well mm. that I end up sneaking into things mm-hmm. in I those months that. too. Yeah. Well, I, I thought that um, Urban Buds was experimenting with some of their greenhouse crops to get something by Valentine's Day. I could be wrong, but I feel like I saw that. No, you were, you're right. So this, this past February, they had dahlias. That's insane. I agree. I mean, I know that's why the big dramatic pause, because it is totally <laughs> insane for St. Louis to have um, beautiful, like karma dahlias, um, big, big, like dark burgundy dahlias in February. Wow. Um, and I think that was the only color that they experimented with this year. I'm not hundred percent sure. Um, but they turned out beautifully. So, um, so they're definitely doing stuff. Obviously, um, they have, they have, um, a lot of hoop houses and stuff like that, that they can do season extension. And because we are so close to warmer places, you know, as far as the zone is concerned, um, with just that little bit of help, just a little bit of row cover, et cetera, Mm. like we can, that's, that's like when we should grow ranunculus because Mm -hmm. our spring you know, takes off and runs sometimes and it feels like it's just summer. Right. So, so so earlier is better before you get the heat and the humidity. Yeah. um, Yeah. So, you know, it is, uh, there are some things that happen here in winter, strangely that, (laughs) that we can, uh, cut some stuff here and there. And, and actually another thing that I do is I'm looking at this, uh, giant philodendron hybrid in my, uh, in this room is I'll, I'll turn to houseplants, you know, mm-hmm. like there, there ain't no shame in using a giant, awesome houseplant leaf to really help solidify an arrangement. No, so I, it's like in the winter, it's just, you're forced to get a little, a little more creative. Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought that up, Kate, because I've just been having that conversation uh, with a several uh, retail florists um, for an article I'm writing for Florist Review Magazine. It's not going to run till October, but on this very thing about diversifying into houseplants as a way to kind of tide you over during the winter. But mm-hmm. what I'm hearing is, yeah, that might be why I originally got into it. But the bottom line is the customer is 
fascinated with house plants, especially millennials. And so the demand is there, whether it's winter or not. Um, it just, it's just funny. I started out with one supposition and I've found that I was kind of, uh, didn't really understand that there were all these other forces driving the demand for houseplants. So keep it going. And, <laughs> and well, and, and what's great about the houseplants is a lot of times they're super hardy. Yeah. Like they're going to last in water like forever, mm. it feels like. And they're going to start rooting in that water. Mm-hmm. And then the customer is just like, what do I do? Can I keep this? Can I plant it? It's wow. like, you can try, go ahead. So you, you know, so that happened with the fill it in then it sounds like. Um, I mean, that happens with the, um, pathos, which mm-hmm. is kind of like the philodendron, mm-hmm. um, you know, with, you could stick a sort of a viney or Ivy, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, stick a viney thing in there and it'll root and, you know, sure. Just put it in some dirt and see what happens. It's kind of like back to when you're a kid and you, you know, learn how to put a, you know, one stem of an African violet in water and watch it, you know, in a jam jar or something and watch it root and. Yeah. yeah. And I, I mean, and I love doing that when it's, when it's, whether it's a house plan or whether it's a cutting that you just know, like basil or something that, you know, mm-hmm. roots well in water mm-hmm. yeah. and, and letting people know that when they purchase something that they might be able to keep it going mm. somehow, mm-hmm. you know, or like this, like here are the pieces in this arrangement that are going to be really long lasting, like eucalyptus or uh, something like that. Like, and, and essentially challenging them to keep, keep that greenery. Once the other stuff dies out, go in your backyard, go in your alley or, uh, you know, mm-hmm. and, and see what you can find to, to do another one. Right. Right. You to know? kind I, of, I really enjoy like helping people sort of rediscover, uh, nature a little bit. Yeah. It, it's definitely the gardener in you. And, um, I'm sure that really, <laughs> it's definitely We've kind of danced around this idea that your your aesthetic is reflects this, but describe kind of your style and and what types of um, of arrangements that you are you selling on your website because you have an, a store basically right now on the website for City House Country Mouse. Will that be similar to what people find when they come into the storefront? Yeah, um, our I would say that City House Country Mouse really tries to provide artful sort of garden inspired Mm -hmm. florals. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the short version of it. And the website, you know, I kind of chose to just have a variety of photos at, at sort of a size and price level, um, to give people a sense of what they can expect because, um, because I am trying to buy things seasonally and locally I don't want to have a bunch of stuff that's prepackaged essentially, right. you know, like I, I just didn't feel like that was reflective of what, um, kind of the business model is about. And I want to be able to surprise people a little bit, but have them still know, like, you know, that this is the style that it is kind of garden inspired and that they'll probably see some natives in there or they're, they'll probably see, you know, some things that are grown locally, if not everything. Mm-hmm. Right. Grown locally in the arrangement. Right. And it also sounds like you're not going to have this, um, I don't know, the same flowers in the shop week in and week out. That's, there's going to be a constant churn of new things based on what's blooming at any given time. So the pictures aren't going to be literal with the arrangement. I mean, that's, that's sort of a education 
I would imagine an education thing you have to do with, with people who call you or order online. Yeah, it definitely is. Cause sometimes people want really specific things too, you know, like, um, like peonies mm-hmm. in October. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just have to say, you know, I, I just don't have those right now. I can do an arrangement similar to that, but with different flowers or with that style. But, yeah. Like, know. or with that color or, mm-hmm. or, um, you know, I can get some, uh, some garden roses from California that, that would echo that same vibe. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but yeah, there definitely is a, a point there of making sure people understand that flowers are, uh, you know, a living product and just like, you know, tomatoes, well, tomatoes in the middle of winter in St. Louis aren't going to taste very good. (laughs) Right. Right. Because they're flown in from somewhere else and, you know, helping people really appreciate that the flowers are grown right here and locally and super fresh, just like local, super fresh food. I feel like a lot of people do start to see those differences and, um, they can tell a lot of times that their flowers are lasting longer and obviously, like I said, knowing that um, the flowers are often grown more organically right. is also something that makes people feel good. Yeah, part of your narrative. What about your couples, your bridal or wedding couples? Are they, is there a particular demographic that that represents or is it pretty diverse? Um, I think it's. It's, it's a little bit broad. Some people are pretty specific in, in what they want, but because I've tried to make it very clear, um, on our website and on my Instagram feed and on Facebook, our style Mm -hmm. and that we are interested in using local flowers as much as possible. Um, I feel like it definitely is attracting more people who are open to that, if not interested in that. Mm-hmm. You right. know what I mean? Like right. if they're not like, it has to be all local. I don't feel like most people have been, it has to be all local flowers. Um, but they're interested in it. They're open to it. They're happy to have it be that way. And also kind of want that look, right. they want something that's a little bit looser. Um, they're happy with having scented basil for instance, mm-hmm. in a bouquet mm-hmm. and, and things like that. So, um, for the most part that ends up being pretty fun because I feel like people are, you know, um, oh, sort of more modern bride is, is getting more interested. Yeah. More enlightened. Well, and you, and you talk uh, about, um, this is a quote that's on the press material that your publicist sent me, which I thought was really wonderful. You, when you talked about your business and how it's really got this local focus, you said, I saw, I saw a huge industry involving the beauty of nature, but also I saw a lot of waste occurring within that industry. I knew I wanted to help people explore fresh, unique local flowers and find ways to provide artful arrangements with references to the garden so that even just articulating this desire to reduce waste. um, I mean, at least you're just, just by saying that is causing people to stop and think about something they probably never even paid attention to with you know, the, I don't know, just the amount, either, either on the packaging or the amount of flowers that are because of, of shipping aren't even worth using once they arrive and they have to go into the, into the landfill or into the compost bin. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, I feel like it's a a hidden aspect that 
you know, oh, they might think like there's plastic film around my bouquet, mm. but maybe not all the other aspects of plastic that was involved mm-hmm. in the flowers getting there, mm-hmm. you know, that involve plastic, uh, plastic packaging or, um, foam packaging and then flying flowers from multiple locations, Yeah, you know, maybe even before getting to the United States. Um, and I know that there's great growers all around the world, obviously, uh, but I feel like, you know, with with the Slow Flowers Movement and with everything that you've done to really build that up in the United States, we have access to finding those growers now so much more than, I mean, wouldn't wouldn't you say even five years ago? I would. I'm, I agree completely. I just think that the explosion of small uh, micro farms um, <clears throat> is just mind boggling. I mean, you mentioned being active on Instagram. You think that you're following every single person who could possibly be interested in growing local flowers on Instagram, and then you keep finding more. Like, it's fascinating uh, how, you know, big this community is and that it's still growing. And I I find that really encouraging. Yeah, it's like a rabbit hole. (laughs) It's like I'm I'm a a big music fan and people – and I used to have a radio show for a long time. And people would ask, how do you find – how do you find your music? And I'm like, it's a, it's a rabbit hole <laughs> and it's the internet, you know, cause you could, it's the same way, you know, with flowers, mm-hmm. you could find a, um, a farmer and on Instagram, you could just go and look at all the people that they follow. And now you've found 50 more people that, that you like because this, this person likes them and, and you start looking at their, this other places stuff mm-hmm. and they're like, Oh man, this person's posting really informative you know, photos and, and information too. And yep, it yeah. is a wrap. You're right. It is definitely a rabbit hole. What I love that I love that you've found your particular um, voice in all of this, because I do think that that's a differential that has helped city house country mouse to, you know, have a reputation and a brand. And now with this new space, I feel like you're going to go to the next level and, and really solidify that brand, just even how you decorate the shop and, what people see when they walk in and the signage. And, you know, I just think it's exciting. I hope you share some photos so we can uh, post them on today's show notes so people can kind of follow you virtually or go to St. Louis and come find you when they're there. Um, Because it's, it's, it's cool to see how people are carving out their own, their own place in this industry, even within the slow flowers community. So I love what you're doing. It's exciting. Well, I really appreciate that. The sign just got painted today um, on the window, in fact. And so that was really an exciting moment oh, to yeah. see that. <laughs> like, finished. I'm, yeah. I'm real now. Okay, so. Know, it's <laughs> weird how just seeing a sign really makes that feel like that. But Abs- it really does. Absolutely. That's what good design is all about anyway. So so is it um, similar to your logo already? Or it, it's mostly text, yeah. right? Yeah, it's it's pretty much the lo- our logo without um, a circle around it, mm. um, and the the painter did a great job. And I I really like that it ended up. We talked about doing a sticker, like you know, so it would be digital essentially, and paint hand painted on there. Mm. I love it. Mm. It just looks oh, that much more organic and yeah, you know, couture. So okay, so when people say what is city house country must, you do you have to explain that you lived in the city? Excuse me, you live in the city. You have a city house, and what are you the country mouse? Yeah, so <laughs> so you got that half. You got the I have a city house, 
But I feel like, especially when I was first starting, I felt like I was doing, trying to do country things. Ah, in the city. You know, like not, not, uh, like things like I am pretending that I live on a farm, but I don't really <laughs> live on a farm. Right. I love it. <laughs> you know, like I have all these grow light stations in the basement and then I bring them outside like, oh, well, I'm going to have all this room to set all these plants out. And then there's really like no room to set all these plants out and they just stack up on the back patio, like waiting, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, but yeah, it just, it just felt like, yeah, I'm this, I'm, I have a city house and I'm. Uh, trying to do, uh, you know, gardeny things on a big scale, yep. but, but not, not really able to, but still trying to do it anyway. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I love the hoarding seed metaphor too, because there's, I, it's so funny. I just saw another Slow Flowers member on Monday and we were talking about uh, why she has this giant patch of, of fenced out land, you know, she fenced out space in her garden that she needs to plant flowers in, but she's a floral designer and an event planner. She's not a farmer. And she's mm-hmm. sort of jokingly referred to the refrigerator full of flower seeds that have been sitting there since February and haven't gotten planted. And we were, we were just joking like, well, maybe they'll survive one more winter in the refrigerator and you can plant them next year. I mean, we all do it. We all buy seeds and think we're going to plant yeah. everything. So no, no criticism intended. I, I'm speaking, I'm, I'm speaking about myself too, but, uh, it, it won't hurt. I'll still buy more seeds this year and the same process, the same cycle will keep happening. Yeah. Well, you never know. I mean, maybe this will be, this will lead to some other, other fun things you can do with workshops, like a seed starting workshop and get all your, all your students to, you know, kind of force you to do it too. Um, I don't know. You're going to have a lot of choice uh, of how you use this space even though it's only 400 square feet I feel like it's going to be a wonderful home to try out some new things as well going forward so I look forward to watching that I'm I'm looking forward to it too and I'm I'm definitely looking forward to having a place that I can welcome people into because having a home studio obviously that's a lot harder to do so the space I'm definitely happy to be able to invite people in. Awesome. Well, congratulations and best wishes, Kate, and um, happy open house. And uh, I'm just really excited to come back someday and visit in person. Uh, but I'll, I'll watch you on Instagram in the meantime. Yeah, if you if you come through, I expect a call. Okay, <laughs> sounds great. <laughs> uh, but I really appre- appreciate your time and, and you having me on the podcast and also just for everything you do oh, every day. Oh, you bet. It's, it's my... My pleasure. And I, I feel like there's a great core in St. Louis of folks. And I, I need to come back. There because, is. Yeah. Because you've got a good community there. So say hi to everybody. And um, we'll, as I said, share photos and links on, on the show notes for today's episode. And um, be sure to follow Kate so she knows you're out there and that you heard her story. So thank you so much, Deborah. Okay, Kate. Great talking to you. Bye-bye. All right. You too. Bye. Thank 
you so much for joining me today. There's a lot of excitement around locally grown flowers and sustainable floral design in St. Louis. And as you heard me mention, I originally met Kate when I was there in 2016 to be a featured speaker at the St. Louis Art Museum's Art in Bloom event. I recorded two wonderful podcast episodes with other Slow Flowers members when I was there, and I'll post them in the show notes for you to listen to, either for the first time or again. Before I close, I want to say how grateful I am to all of you, our entire community of flower farmers and floral designers who together define the Slow Flowers movement. As our cause gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and I invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 348,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. And thank you to our sponsors who have supported Slow Flowers and all our programs. Our podcast sponsors include Arctic Alaska Peonies, a cooperative of passionate family farms in the heart of Alaska, providing bigger, better peony flowers during the months of July and August. Visit them today at arcticalaskapeonies.com. The Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, a farmer-owned cooperative committed to providing the very best the Pacific Northwest has to offer in cut flowers, foliage, and plants. The Growers Market's mission is to foster a vibrant marketplace that sustains local flower farms and provides top quality products and services to the local floral industry. Find them at seattlewholesalegrowersmarket.com. Longfield Gardens provides home gardeners with high-quality flower bulbs and perennials. Their online store offers plants for every region and every season, from tulips and daffodils to dahlias, caladiums, and amaryllis. Visit them at longfield-gardens.com. Syndicate Sales, an American manufacturer of vases and accessories for the professional florist. Look for the American flag icon to find Syndicate's USA-made products and join the Syndicate Stars loyalty program at syndicatesales.com. Johnny's Selected Seeds, an employee-owned company that provides our industry the best flower, herb, and vegetable seeds, supplied to farms large and small, and even backyard cutting gardens like mine. Check them out at johnnysseeds.com. The Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers, formed in 1988, ASCFG was created to educate, unite, and support commercial cut flower growers. Its mission is to help growers produce high-quality floral material and to foster and promote the local availability of that product. Learn more at ASCFG.org. Mayesh Wholesale Florist, family-owned since 1978, Mayesh is the premier wedding and event supplier in the U.S. We're thrilled to partner with Mayesh to promote local and domestic flowers, which they source from farms large and small around the U.S. Learn more at mayesh.com. Certified American Grown Flowers, the Certified American Grown Program and label provide a guarantee for designers and consumers on the source of their flowers. Take pride in your flowers and buy with confidence. Ask for Certified American Grown Flowers. To learn more, visit AmericanGrownFlowers.org. 
and the Team Flower Conference, a professional floral event where flower lovers from all over the world gather for networking, learning, and celebration. It's a special time for the floral industry to come together, and whether you're a farmer, designer, wholesaler, or just love flowers, you're invited to attend as Team Flowers dreams big for the future of our beloved industry. You can head over to teamflower.org slash slowflowers to learn more about their 2019 conference in Waco, Texas. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging onto iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com. Music